0: The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net.
1: If you don't have your own copy of scripture, you can find one under the seat in front of you. If you're using the Black Bible, it's on page 818. Please turn to Luke 12, starting in verse 22, and please stand for the reading of God's word. I'm sorry, starting in verse 13. Luke 12:13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens they never sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after those things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the reading of the, Lord, the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Our sermon title this morning is called Fear and Anxiety, Part 2, round number two. So if you remember last week, we uh, rolled into chapter 12, and we looked at verses 1 through 12. um, And it was there that Jesus went real heavy on addressing this idea of fear. And then right at the very end, he began to sprinkle in uh, some thoughts on just this idea of uh, our anxious hearts. As he rolls into 13 verses through, uh, through 13 through 34, what he's going to do is he's going to roll in real heavy on anxiety and he's going to begin to address this idea and then at the very end he's going to say a little something about the fear that can grip our hearts. And so we split this big idea of what do we do when followers of Jesus find ourselves gripped with fear? Many of us have been there before, gripped with worry over all kinds of things. How should we respond? What's our hope? How should we think? How should we we react? Where do we go? To whom can we turn? Jesus knows that living in a world that is marred by sin, our anxious fearful hearts will be present. But we don't have to live there and remain there. Jesus gives us hope, and that's the hope that we find here this morning. If you want to summarize in a sentence this section of Scripture, if you want to summarize what this hope could be, it comes down to this. Jesus is going to teach His disciples that our Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father can be trusted when anxieties arise. Now, that might feel simple. That might feel like the Captain Obvious Statement of the Year. Well, of course my Father can be trusted when anxieties arise. But the key word in this sentence, the key invitational word of hope found in this sentence is that word trust I mean how many of us have been in the midst of a scenario where we found ourselves lacking provision that we need and our mind heart begins to race and we are clueless as to where our provision will come from and one of the things furthest from your mind is this my father can be trusted We can be so prone to eject this truth when that information, that announcement, that email lands in your lap. And it's like, oh no, worry starts to shoot through the roof. And as worry goes up, this truth that we have a Father in heaven who cares for his children and can be trusted when anxieties increase, it's like that truth sprints out the back of our mind. I mean, anyone, yeah? Jesus is going to lay on us the hope of a simple truth that your heavenly Father, my heavenly Father, can be be trusted when every single ounce of the thing that is causing you to worry screams the opposite our heavenly father can be trusted when anxieties and fears and worry and panic arise let's pray let's ask the holy spirit to give us ears to hear his word and let's ask the Holy Spirit to apply his word to our hearts. Here's my encouragement. Look to your left, look to your right. There's real live image bearers created in the image of God sitting next to you. I'm positive you most likely have no clue what's going on in their heart and mind this morning. People don't show up to church because they got their acts together, amen? People gather with the saints because we got, we got problems, y'all. And Jesus is the great physician who counsels and heals our souls. So pray for the person to the left of you and pray for the person to the right of you. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to apply His Word and to give us eyes to see Jesus clearly this morning. Okay, let's do that. Father, we want to see glory Lifted and given to you because you're worthy to receive the glory, the worship of men. We long to see Jesus made much of this morning. We're thankful that you, Holy Spirit, can take words of a message from the mouth of a mere man that see, that is seeking to take the scriptures in front of us and lay them on our hearts and minds. That is a natural work, and that is what I am attempting to do this morning, to exercise a gift of the Spirit given to me to teach, to preach, to passionately proclaim our our need for Jesus. But if hearts are going to be changed, if hurts, are going to be healed if anxieties are going to give way to peace it is going to be because you lord god by the power of your spirit in the hearts and the lives of those to the left and the right of us if if it's going to happen it's going to happen because of you oh god and so that's what we ask in humility we are dependent. And in our humility, we recognize that. And in our humility, we ask, Lord, meet us in our need. Give us eyes to see Jesus. Help us to apply these scriptures to our lives so that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Man, I'm I'm positive that this is true in your life is true in my life because there's just there's one in every crowd no matter where you find yourself church work hobby friends neighbors whatever it is there's always one in every crowd the conversation is going in one direction And that guy, that gal stands up, butts in, and blurts out something that is totally random, completely out of left field. And you're just like, were were you even living on planet Earth for the past 10 minutes of the conversation? Like, why on earth would you come in and say this thing? Your words out of your face have nothing to do with anything that was just being talked about. For me, it was in my military days, there was a man whose last name was Briggs, and it was Briggs who was always the one doing this knucklehead stunt. Particularly the one that stands out in my mind was uh, towards the end of my military career got deployed overseas, and so there we were in Kuwait about ready to be shipped out into Iraq, and some some NCO, a non-commissioned officer, had to teach us and give some block of instruction, like, hey, when you go into country, like, you can't just start taking stuff, right? Like, you can't just start, like, plundering things and taking goods and flags, and, like, definitely you can't, you know, pick up any weapons and that kind of stuff, and here's what you do, and I mean, he's Ten minutes talking, he's got PowerPoint slides, he's running all the way through it, and then he has to do what everyone has to do, like, hey, do you have any questions? And there's Briggs, stands up and asks the question, like, well, what do I do if I find a weapon? And it's like, bro, like, man, were you even listening to the guy? Like we all just labored for thirty minutes hearing this guy talk, and so like he just and like he's like okay, but like what about this? Like it's almost like he made a mental image list in his head. He's like okay, this guy just said don't do these things. That must mean I can do these things, and so he just ran through like the list. It's like man, where were you for the past thirty minutes? There's always one in every crowd, and maybe you have a Briggs in your life. My argument is is that Jesus bumped into a Briggs in verse thirteen. If you've been here before, Jesus feels for you because this Briggsian idea is exactly what introduces Jesus and turns him to begin to talk about this thing called covetousness or greed. Luke tells us in verse 13 that as Jesus was talking about this fear, the fears that can haunt our hearts and cause anxiety that someone in the crowd stands up and says to jesus teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me jesus has been talking nothing about inheritance nothing about money nothing about things he's been talking about fear and anxiety and the Briggs of the crowd stands up and says yeah let's talk about money just out of completely out of left field seemingly if you remember jesus has been shepherding fearful anxious hearts He said, you guys, there's a subtle sin to fear. It's the sin of hypocrisy. You don't want that to creep into the back door of your heart and begin to anchor its its nasty roots into into your soul. He said, I want to embolden you with that spine-stiffening fear to embrace this good, right fear of the Lord, the fear of God that we saw Last week, And then Jesus was equipping them to face the anxiety producing fear of gospel hostility that when we live in a world that is hostile to Jesus, the followers of Jesus will know this hostility and the fear that can grip us is man, I don't want that kind of hostility. So we begin to close our mouths and we don't speak. And Jesus says, I want you to go head first into this. I want you to face this fear because the Holy Spirit will be there to lead you and guide you. And it's right here in the midst of these words still lingering in the air that someone interjects, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to give me my money. Now, to give the benefit of the doubt to this character, this demand may very well stem from a very sincere worry on his part. So I don't want to paint him in a completely bad light. In Jesus' day, the way inheritance worked was that when a father passed away, the inheritance went all to the oldest son. And so I think the implication here is this one who's saying, hey, I need you to tell my brother he's the younger son. There's a sincere worry that my older brother may not parcel out the inheritance to me and my siblings like like he is supposed to. And so maybe this man's anxious worry is driven by his sibling robbing him of what is genuinely owed to him. That that could be a legitimate possibility. Or it could be that his anxiety right now is being driven by a desire to be rich. Maybe he has what he needs and he wants more. And so he's saying, my brother is robbing me of abundance and I want more possessions and I want to add To the pile, maybe this interjection from him is a craving for more, motivated by the love of money. While we can't be sure, Luke doesn't give us insight into the heart attitude that led to these words. But what we can be sure of is that this brother's request is born out of greed. It's being born out of covetousness. And the clue to me saying this is the fact that Jesus turns in verse 14 and he refuses to pass judgment as this brother hopes for and instead uses the interruption of this man as an opportunity to teach about greed. Jesus knows the hearts of men, and so I think Jesus is giving us a clue and an insight that there's something driving this man's desire for more that is not being born out of need, but it's genuinely being born out of greed. And so Jesus says, I'm going to teach right now, and he takes this interjection that wanted to pull the conversation in this way, Jesus is going to walk through that door and pull it back on track and say, I've got something to teach my disciples. I've got something to teach the crowd right now. And the first truth to be learned is that a disciple's need is to guard against greed. That's point number one. Disciples have a need to guard against greed. That's verses 13 through 21. So in your copy of Scripture... Set your eyes on verse 15. And notice what Jesus says starting there in verse 15. He says this Listen, guys, you need to take care, he says. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. This coveting idea is a, a synonymous word would be this idea of greed. A greedy heart is a coveting heart. A coveting heart is a greedy heart. Take care, be on guard, guard yourself against all, all the various ways that covetousness, greed can creep into the soul. Why? Why do you say this, Jesus? Verse 15 still, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is just a proverbial truth that Jesus is laying on us right now. Covetousness or greed, it can come in many shapes, it can come in many sizes, it can rear its ugly heads, sneak through the back door of our heart, begin to sink its wicked roots into our soul and men all different kinds of ways. And Jesus' point is that there is an attitude of wanting more That is dangerous. There's an attitude of wanting more that's just truly dangerous. Thus, he says, take care. I want you to see this truth. I want you to perceive this truth. I want you to attend to this danger. And as you attend to this danger and take care to attend to this danger, I want you to be on guard against all, A-L-L, all, every kind of greed that can grip your soul. The word all tells us that the sin of greed can lie in ambush behind a whole plethora of legitimate concerns. The younger brother here, I don't think he has an illegitimate concern. It's a legitimate concern to think about these things, but there's also a way to have legitimate concerns that get ambushed and hijacked by the sin of greed. And that's what Jesus is warning us against. You see, we often assume that greed is a rich man's problem. Yeah? The rich man has a lot, and then when the rich man says, I want more than my a lot, everyone can stand back and we can all cast the first stone and say, that man, that woman is greedy. They already have abundance, they want to add abundance to their abundance, that's the sin of greed. But the one who has and desires to increase the abundance of what he has, this is the person guilty of greed. But as Jesus will address in very short order, there is a rich man kind of greed and there is a poor man's kind of greed as well. The fact is, says Jesus, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Just as a rich man who is rich in possessions can covet abundance of more possessions. There is a way for a man poor in possessions or a woman who is lacking possessions. Thus, someone who has need, they don't have abundance, they have need, they lack abundance. This too can be a place And a circumstance and a situation where that heart begins to covet abundance. Not out of the abundance they already have, but they begin to covet abundance out of their lack. Out of what they don't have. The point is that Jesus, I think, is driving us to see is the hidden motivation of greed can easily hijack the heart. The hidden motivation of greed can easily hijack the heart. So he's going to talk to the crowds, and then in a second, he's going to turn and begin to address his disciples about how we be on guard and take care to make sure that the terrorist of greed doesn't come and hijack our soul. You see, this idea, this hidden motivation of greed it can be the driving force behind getting one's inheritance as jesus has just pointed out this hidden motivation of greed can be the driving force behind our jealousy over the promotion of a coworker. well why do they get it why do they get the pay raise why do they get the bump increase why do they get the the extras thrown in with their contract why not me they already have so much they, that should have come to me The driving force behind our complaints to our spouse over what we don't have, the list can just go on and on and on. Thus, for those with ears to hear, Jesus says, listen, guys, crowd, disciples, listen, you need to guard against all kinds of greed. I think most of us could stand up and say, yes, we obviously should guard against the kind of rich man greed might be a little bit harder for us to say, yeah, and also packed into the all of all kinds of greed is the poor man's greed. And that becomes a little bit harder because I think just obviously for the bulk of us, like we don't live in the rich man greed category. For the bulk of us, we live in the poor man's greed category. Like we don't live in a sea of abundance. We typically live in a sea of need, lack, obvious provision. Jesus' point here is to just remember, listen, there's more to life than stuff. He with the most toys who dies in the end, he's the happy one. That's the mantra of the day. Jesus says there is more to life than stuff. There's more to life than the abundance of possessions. Notice that in this sentence here, the key word is abundance. It's abundance. Notice it's not one's life doesn't consist in his possessions. In God's economy, the way he created the world, the way we live here in this creation, he's a, we, we have, have possessions. We have Homes, and we have food, and we have clothes, and we we get paid money so we can use these things. Like it's not that possessions is a bad thing. It's when that backdoor hidden motivation. Of covetousness and greed sneaks in and begins to sink its roots into our mind and into our heart that says, Yes, while we have, I need more, I want more, I have to have more upon the more upon the more. And it's that abundance word that is the key and crucial word here. It's not that one's life doesn't consist in his possessions, but in the abundance of his possessions, says Jesus. The greedy pursuit of abundance. Is the seedbed of anxious worry. So if this young brother who is sitting here, Jesus, teacher, you need to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. If it's true that Jesus going into this truth about coveting and greed is because he knows the attitude of the heart of this younger brother than what I think Jesus is helping us see is this truth this man's greedy pursuit of abundance is the seedbed of anxious worry he is worried and anxious and panicking that he might not get the more abundance that he really wants right now and it's freaking him out it's spinning him out of control And that's just what Jesus wants you and me to see. Now notice that after laying on us this proverbial truth, verse 15, Jesus rolls right into a parable. So he goes from proverb into parable. And the parable is a story designed to further solidify the truth found in the proverb. So look in verse 16. Verses 16 down through 20 is the parable. In verse 16, Jesus addresses rich man covetousness, rich man greed, by telling the parable of a greedy farmer. If you want to know where the greedy pursuit of possession leads, Jesus says, listen to this parable. I'm going to show you where the greedy pursuit of possessions leads. It will lead you to being possession rich and God poor. You'll be impoverished towards the things of God... While you might be extremely rich in the things of this world. And so notice what Jesus says in verse 16. The land of a rich man, there it is, produced plentifully. So he already had abundance. He's not just a man, he's a rich man. And then in his rich man abundance, the land produced plentifully for this farmer. For this farmer. And so he goes into self-conversation mode and he thought to himself, notice all the different ways he refers to I and my. Here's what he thought to himself. Self, let's see here. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods. You've got many years to come. Relax. Just take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Notice that in the abundance of his riches... The rich man's anxious worry about what to do with all his stuff turns him in on himself and away from God. You guys see that going on there? The rich man is anxious. He's worried. His land produced plentifully. Now he has a problem. He's got anxieties. He's got worries. Like, what am I going to do with all this this extra plenty that has come my way? How am I going to care for all this extra stuff that's already on top of all the rich man stuff that I have? And he immediately excises and erases God from his life. There's no conversation about seeking the Lord and about what he might do, but he immediately just turns in on himself. And what you see here is a picture of practical atheism at its finest. He's atheistic, he's got nothing to do with God and he says God has got nothing to do with me this is a me myself and I problem and when you see the belief of atheism being worked out in its practicalities the behavior that flows out of that kind of belief this is a picture of it right here in front of us in the pursuit of earthly treasure the rich man has erased God from his life and above all what he's done is he's discounted the eternal value of his soul As the psalmist teaches, it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. It's the fool who says that. Which is why, in a unique thing, in the parables that Jesus teaches, you often don't hear God speak. But you do in verse 20. And in the parable, Jesus says, God speaks up in this moment and says to the rich fool, fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Notice the greedy farmer is a rich fool in the eyes of the living God. And it's not because he is brainless. He didn't get to the place where he's at, where he's producing plentifully and has rich man abundance and possessions because he's a moron. But Jesus says God calls him a fool because he is godless. It's the fool who says in his heart, no such thing as a God. No God has anything or any control over me. The two fundamental errors of this man in the parable that Jesus is presenting to the crowd so they can learn comes down to this. This man thought he had all the time in the world. Do you see that there, verse 19? I'm going to say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. His automatic assumption is, I've got a lifetime ahead of me. Almost this immortality that can come with being young. No, man, like if I'm 20, man, I'm going to be 80. I've got another six. He just is automatically assuming he has all the time in the world. And the second fundamental error was this, was that he was accountable only to himself. I'm going to say to my soul, Soul, I'm going to say to my soul, hey, we should probably go and see what God has to say about this. His operating assumption is God erased nothing to do with me. I want nothing to do with him. In living like this, the, the, the greedy farmer in his foolishness of erasing God from his life is this. He's ultimately just embraced the devil's favorite word. The devil's favorite word is tomorrow tomorrow think about jesus stuff tomorrow get serious about asking god pursuing god being obedient to god tomorrow today i'm just going to be lazy i'm just going to be be very apostatic passive towards the things of god there's always tomorrow you guys know the deal the problem with tomorrow is you wake up tomorrow tomorrow's become today and tomorrow just keeps bumping out into the future He's embraced the devil's favorite word, tomorrow. And he's ignored the reality that everyone has an invisible timer counting down their days. Psalm 90, Moses teaches us to count our days. Man might live to be 70 by reason of strength, 80. But there is every one of us right now. If you just took the time to look left and look right, there's an invisible little clock that is running down to zero, that is attached to every single one of our souls. The thing is, for many of us here, because we tend to be a young ish con- congregation, is many of us think that our invisible timer has decades upon decades with months, minutes, and seconds. But the shock for many of us is that we don't have decades on our timer. For some of us, it might not even be years, but year, singular. For some of us, it might be months or seconds. My granddad just passed. His timer was set to a zero, and it expired two weeks ago. I have a buddy, friend, whose father just passed away, just about to turn 70. He was going to meet with his father on Friday, father couldn't meet with him on friday assumed that he would be able to maybe wake up catch up with him on saturday only find out that his dad died in the night zero greedy farmer in his greed has excised god from his life and he's assuming he has all the time in the world and he's accountable only to himself he's ignoring the realities of our limitedness And so Jesus says in verse 21, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You can be rich toward stuff or rich toward God. It's not saying that you can't have stuff and not be rich toward God, but a lot of people make that decision, that distinguishing decision. I don't want anything to do with God. I'm just going to go all in on stuff. So notice that after teaching about rich man greed, rich man covetousness, Jesus rolls into verse 22. And as he rolls into verse 22, Jesus turns from the crowds and then he turns to his disciples in order to tease out what it means to be rich toward God, and that's point number two. So the flow in your Bible is this. Jesus lays this parable on the crowds and he says this is what it's going to look like this is how it's going to go for those who lay up treasure for themselves. But there is another path where you, I, can be rich toward God. Now let me show you what this looks like. Let me show you what it looks like to be rich toward God. I mean, that's helpful, right? Like if Jesus is saying, like, this is the right path to walk down. Like, I've got questions. Like, well, what does that look like? And how do you think that out? And like, what does this look like in the real world? And so Jesus now turns to his disciples in particular and says, let me show you what this looks like that's what you see in verses 22 through 28 he's going to help us lead us guide us shepherd us towards being rich toward god so just notice this you have to see this There is a connection going on between what Jesus said about take care, be on guard. He gives the parable of the greedy farmer and and don't think this, don't think that he's done and he's completely switching to a whole new topic. What he's going to do is he's going to take that truth of taking care and being on guard against greed and he's going to pull it out and he's going to now lay it on his disciples. That is the connection between what has just gone before and what lies before us. The connection here is to what Jesus has just said to the crowd he is now going to say to the disciples. If life is not defined in the abundance of possessions, then followers of Christ, you also need to know this, life is also not defined by our lack of possessions. You need to know this. Or if you want to put it another way, Jesus is saying, yes, 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 I get it. There are forms of covetousness in the rich man variety. But yes, you also need to know, take care and be on guard against this. There are forms of covetousness. There's forms of greed that are in the poor man variety. Therefore, I tell you, says Jesus, verse 22, do not be anxious about your life. If you're sitting here worried about your lack of what you will eat or how you will provide or where finances will come from, what I want you to know is don't be anxious. Don't be worried about your lack. You're not like the rich man. You don't have an abundance of things that you can dip into to provide for yourself. You obviously have need. You might be worried about what you'll eat. You might be worried about your body. You might be worried about that diagnosis. You might be worried about that upcoming doctor's visit. You might be worried about that friend who has that fang? and you're just like, I don't, I don't know how it's going to go for them. If, if the diagnosis goes the way that it's going to go, you might be worried about how you'll provide for the physical needs of your body. Which you can Jesus says, listen, I understand these things, but take care and be on guard for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. The Father knows the Father has you. So just as a rich man can weary himself with anxious worry over the abundance of his possessions, Jesus is now turning to his disciples and saying it's equally true that a poor man can weary himself with anxious worry over the lack of his possessions. Now, isn't this just where, like, all of us live? <laughs> yeah? Anyone here find themselves lack? Anyone? Yeah. Like, I don't live in the rich man category. I don't think many of us, any of us do. Most of us recognize that I have lack. And if most of us were honest with ourselves and with others, we would say that lack and that need, it worries me makes me anxious, keeps me fearful. I panic about it sometimes when my head's on the pillow at night. Because if I'm honest with you, pastor, if I'm honest with you, friend, it's just not uncommon, it's very common for the tidal wave of anxious worry to wash over me when I consider. There's bills to be paid and I don't know where the cash is going to come from. The bills are higher than the flow in. That worries me. I have a mortgage to meet and not enough money. That worries me. I've got rent to make. Doctor visits that rack up bills to be paid. That debt causes us to worry. Unexpected expenses land in our lap. I had my budget in place for many months, and I'm saving that money. All of a sudden, that unexpected expense, the roof gets blown off in a tornado. If I live in North Sherman... I'm sure no one was expecting that one to happen. Water heater blows out, windows need to be replaced, whatever. Now, well, well, this is good provision. A home is good provision. Now, all of a sudden, this thing is causing me to worry inflation is shooting up it's increasing anxiety my utility bills are higher than what my expenses can handle clothes for my kids are needed but they're increasingly unaffordable the grocery budget doesn't stretch as far as it used to milk eggs those things are just getting more expensive the teacher asked me to see them after class and I begin to fret the nurse says we need to get a biopsy on that thing that we saw on the mri and now we're teetering on the brink of panic the supervisor sends out that vague email to a bunch of people about downsizing and now our guts begin to churn Uh, please come up here take the mic and tell us for the next hour about all the things that are worrying you the list is endless yes i mean these are the things that can consume our hearts and minds if we're not careful yes of course they are Every one of us here has been kept awake at night, caught in the grip of anxious worry over things like these and more. So what is a Jesus follower to do? What's a Jesus follower to do? The answer is we are to do what Jesus has just said back up in verse 15. Take care and be on guard against all kinds of Of covetousness why why does the poor man need to take care and guard against a poor man's kind of greed that can creep up into his heart when he is faced with his obvious lack and need for provision Because the danger is that if we do not take care and we do not be on guard, we can easily fall into a kind of atheistic anxiety. An atheistic anxiety. And I use that adjective, atheistic, to describe anxiety with purpose. I say atheistic anxiety because, listen, this is so crucial, listen, Because when we are faced with our need and we don't know how that need will be met and we don't know where this need will be met and we don't know when this need will be met, we can worry and we can fret as though we do not have a loving father in heaven who cares for us. How many of us have gotten there way quicker than we ever thought we would? The bill lands, a thing comes, the email hits, the boss wants to speak, the medical bill comes, the utilities increase. The mortgage becomes a little chintzy. Are we going to be able to make rent? And what we immediately do is take a sprint to, I don't know if the father's going to show up, and I don't know if the father's going to provide, and I don't know when he's going to do it. So we almost slip into an atheistic kind of anxiety, an anxiety born out of this idea, God doesn't know, God doesn't exist, God doesn't care, God doesn't love, God will not provide. That's off the shelf, and then we immediately focus on the problem, the panic, the worry, the anxiety at hand. And we find ourselves operating in a kind of a practical atheism. Listen, I want you to hear this truth. There is a kind of anxious worry that is practical atheism. There's a kind of anxious worry. Now, don't don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying all anxiety. I'm not saying all worry is. But I'm saying there is a kind of anxious worry that s- sneaks in subtly into the back door of our heart and begins to anchor in a roots that is born out of a practical atheism. Because in those moments with this particular kind of anxious worry, if we're just to peel back the layers of our heart and peel back the layers of our mind, and you're like, why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Why are you panicking? The layers of the heart get pulled back, get pulled back, get pulled back, and it's because of this. Somehow we have tripped into the place, and somehow we have begun to believe that the Father is not in heaven, the Father is not loving, the Father does not care for his children, like he's just not even on the radar. We immediately begin to think in a very atheistic sort of way now we don't say that with our words because we believe as children of god in christ that we do have a father in heaven a father who does care for his children a father who is loving and loves to provide we believe this we know this to be true but there's a problem there's there's oftentimes just that disconnect and this is so much of the christian life where what we believe and how we behave are completely light years apart Where, yes, I believe the Father is good and loving and can meet my need right now in this moment, but if I'm honest, my anxious worry is betraying this fact that my behavior is showing that I'm not really leaning on the Father and trusting in Him because it's sort of maybe in the heart of hearts in the back corner of my life. I don't know that He can be trusted. And so that anxious worry... Is behavior that betrays our belief. And Jesus is exposing this to us so that what we believe and how we bela- behave line up and intimately intertwine and meet. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's not coming along and saying, how dare you? No, he's exposing so that he can then lead us by the hand and bring us to the place where he says, no, I'm telling you. Dear Saint, I am telling you, the Father can be trusted with your anxious worry. He can be trusted with that anxious worry. If you're over here struggling to believe the Father is loving and in heaven and caring for his children, listen. I, I, Jesus is saying, "Listen, nothing, nothing can be further from the truth." you do have a father in heaven who cares for his children. That's why when we are overwhelmed with anxious worry, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your window. I want you to crack it open. I want you to shove your face out that window, and I want you to stare at a bird. And then I want you to look down at the ground, at the flower bed below your window, and I want you to stare at a flower. I mean, isn't that not what he says? Look at your Bible right there. That's, exactly, that's literally what he says, verse 24. I want you to go outside and consider the ravens, consider the crows, consider how they fly around in the sky. They don't sow, they don't reap, they have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. He cares for them. Of how much more value are you than birds? One of the things that you need to go through life and one of the, the, the scriptural truths that you need to tell yourself is tomorrow morning when you wake up, you need to say this to yourself, I'm more valuable than a bird. And you'd actually be taking Jesus' words and you'd be believing them. It's the lesser to greater argument. You guys have heard this before you get it, but we can, just, we can forget what we know, yeah? When the cancer diagnosis comes, when the next bill comes, and you're like, oh no, this truth goes whee! and it just ejects like at warp speed ejects and jesus says you're more valuable than a bird and if the father can be trusted to throw some roadkill to a craven on the side of the road to make sure it's cared for that day i'm telling you he can provide for you now that doesn't mean you're going to open up your mailbox and have a check for a million dollars It might mean your friend across the street who has a bonus might come by. It might mean God provides you a second job to be able to bring in enough money and your work is going
1: to...
0: The provision is going to come in a thousand and one ways, not just in the way that we think would be awesome and nice and easy and lazy. (laughs) I want the the check in the mailbox, thank you very much, kind of provision. And the Lord does move in this ways, but a lot of the times it happens and it moves in ways that we could never possibly imagine. But the point is the Father showed up and the Father cared for you. Which of you, by being anxious, can add in a single hour to his span of life? It's pointless. And when, if then, you are not able to do a small thing as that, he says, why are you anxious about the rest? Now cast your eyes down on the ground and take a look at the lilies. Look at that flower. Look at how it grows. It doesn't toil. It doesn't spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Notice this phrase, O oh, you little faith. Jesus knows The practical atheistic bent of our heart (laughs) that's why he says no not little faith big faith the father can be trusted so the question is how do i wage war against this atheistic anxious tendency of my heart the answer is that i remember point number three my heavenly father can be trusted he can be trusted bold underline italicized all caps can can be trusted To be rich toward God means a life of dependent trust on the Father. Two different times in these verses, verses 29 through 34, notice in verse 30, Jesus says, you need to remember your relationship. You have a Father in heaven. Then he says down in verse 32, you need to remember your relationship. You have a Father in heaven. He turns our attention to our Father who can be trusted. In verse 29, Jesus says this, listen, please do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Don't be worried. But this isn't the mantra of the 60s, don't worry, be happy. It's don't worry, he can be trusted. That's the idea. For the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father, your father, there it is, your father knows that you need them. Listen, worrying is wearisome, yeah? You never wearied yourself out with worry. Now it makes sense that those who don't know the Father would worry. Jesus says the nations of the world worry themselves about. What to eat and what to drink. And it sort of makes sense because God, the living God, Yahweh, He is not in their equation. But you you are those who do have Him in your equation. You are those who have been reconciled to Him. You are the ones looking to me for salvation. And you can find a right restored relationship with God. So Jesus says to His followers, you don't have to act like the nation's who don't know God because you do know him in a very, very intimate way. The invitation is for Jesus' disciples to collapse into living out what we believe, as I just said a couple minutes ago. Our Father knows what we need. It's right there in verse 30. Financial provision, he knows what you need. Physical provision, he knows what you need. Health provision, he knows what you need. Now I repeat, just because he knows what he needs doesn't mean he's going to come along and give us what we want. I've got financial needs, and I know what I want, but that doesn't mean Jesus is going to give me what I want, but he will come and provide what I need, and what I need might be light years years different from what I want, but he does show up and give us what we need. Saved by grace through faith in Christ, we become part of Christ's little flock. Do you see that in verse 32? Look at your eyes. Look at the Bible. Fear not, little flock. Such a term of endearment. The good shepherd sees you as a little piece of his little flock folded in. Little flock, fear not. Why? Because it is our Father's, there it is, it's our Father's, your Father, my Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Notice what Jesus' antidote for anxious worry is. Jesus' antidote for anxious worry is to accept and enjoy our relationship with the living God. That's it, that is the antidote. He says, listen, when anxious worry begins to go like this, then what you do is you go, I'm worried, take one look to the worry, And then take 10 looks to the fact that you have a relationship with the Father in Christ. I have a relationship with the Father in Christ. My heart says, hey, aren't you worried? Yeah, I'm worried, but I'm not going to take 10 looks to worry and no looks to my my God. I'm going to take one look to my worry. I'm going to acknowledge that this is a situation that is limit. I'm limited. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know where the cash will come from. I don't know how the diagnosis will go. I don't know how the doctor's visit will go. I don't know how that relationship will pan out. This is worrying me, but what I can do is take that worry and I can come and cast that worry on the Father. I'm going to look to Him. He is mine. He is in heaven. He is sovereign. He can be trusted. He is good. He is loving. I am his child. I cannot be removed from being his child. He's laid hold of me. My salvation is secure in him. He can be trusted. Is this good news for any of us today? Any of us here who are worried today? Any of us here who need to be reminded that he can be trusted in the midst of your worry? That's what Jesus wants to hear today. In Christ, the kingdom is ours. Therefore, we are free. We are free to channel our energy into God's work and not worry. We're free to seek his kingdom. Free to settle into the ever deepening trust in our heavenly father. Let's pray. King Jesus, you are the good and gracious king. You're the good and gracious king. We've heard today with our ears, would you help us to hear with our hearts? We can nod our heads to words spoken that reverberate through the air and hit our eardrums and register with our brain. But as we all know, there is just something about what we know in our brain traveling about 18 inches to the south and registering deep into our heart. Help us to believe. Help us to behave in light of our belief when anxieties and worries and fears and panics arrive. Help us to rest in this fact that our Heavenly Father can be trusted when anxieties arise. It's in the name of King Jesus that I pray these things. Amen.